Hey there, thanks for listening to another episode of Public Theologians, where Christian theology animates leftist political action. I'm Casey Hobbs. So happy you're joining today. Well, to set the scene a little bit for my guest and for our conversation, I should take you back to the holidays of 2021. I was walking by a free library on the side of the road, and I thought, I want to see what's in there. And so I saw this book called The Christian Left. And it was a supposed to be an expose from a very conservative, um, supposedly very Christian author on the Christian left. And I had been reading very important, very well-constructed books, and I felt like I had just kind of needed a break. So I, t- I picked up the book, and it was free, and I couldn't put it down for the next several days, and I underlined nearly the entire thing. And I wrote a Substack piece because I felt like I needed to put something out there. So that's from November, if you want to check out my Substack page and see the insanity I put myself through. But when I posted my Substack, of the show Colleen Shaddix, who was on a previous episode way back, tweeted at me and said, I need to check out Fran Quigley's book, Religious Socialism. And because I had just put myself through such pain reading a transparently horrific um, book on the the religious or Christian left that had really nothing to do with reality. I checked out this book. So today's conversation is between, uh, it's a conversation between myself and Fran Quigley, the author of Religious Socialism, Faith in Action for a Better World, and that's by Orbis Books. I have to say, not only is it clearly a much better book than the Christian left book that I had picked up from the free library. But I feel like this is a really important book for those who are struggling with particularly entering into the space of being a Christian leftist, has questions maybe about whether there's any historical precedent for Christians embracing a socialist point of view or even folks coming from a Muslim or Hindu or perspective of Judaism, uh, also all sorts of religious perspectives. There are, many of us have received those in very conservative fashions. And so when we look at socialism, particularly as religious folks, sometimes it can be a little off-putting, it can be a little frightening, Perhaps if you're listening to the show, you're not in that space, but perhaps uh, you're just entering into the space and that's where you are. And that's okay. Many of us, including myself and Fran Quigley, who I'm speaking to in this episode, have been there too. So this episode is for you. And it's also for you if you are a longtime comrade of ours and want to hear more about the many, many folks that have come before us and have set the stage for this moment of the Christian left. So, of course, we're going to get in this conversation. Before we do, a couple of quick plugs. We have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash Casey Hobbs. You can support the show for as little as a buck a month. If you want to support the show for less than a dollar, you can rate us, review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. That would be so helpful. That will get conversations like this one between myself and Frank Quigley out to a wider audience. So I would very much appreciate that. And other than that, thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Fran Quigley. 
Hey, Frank Quigley, thank you so much for joining me on Public Theologians. Casey, my privilege. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so you've got a really great book out called Religious Socialism, and we're going to talk about that today, Faith in Action for a Better World. It's from Orbis Books. Of course, I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes. I feel like reading through this, this is really, it kind of reads like a tract um, a really, a, just a great overview of the history of religious socialism and a great um, argument for religious socialism. And I kind of want to drop these as like leaflets over <laughs> large, uh, important churches in the United States and just uh, see where that goes. But first, tell us why religious socialism and uh, give us a little case for that. You and I probably agree. I'm sure a lot of listeners um, would agree, but maybe some are a little unacquainted with with why. So tell us why from your perspective. Sure. Yeah, I think the, the answer to why there's kind of a, a two different answers depending which direction you're you're focused. From from the religion side, um, it, it, as you know, most of the book is a pro are profiles of folks from different faith traditions. So we've got folks from Christianity and Judaism and Islam and Buddhism, etc. And, and from their perspective, the folks, again, they say that the better themselves than I could say it, but for their perspective is like, well, why not uh, socialism? Because you look and see that, you know, you look at the, you know, the OGs of Christianity, the, you know, the Acts of the Apostles, it's like, okay, everybody held everything in common. Nobody was poor. Everyone, you know, shared uh, resources to make sure all meet, needs were met. And and folks, um, you know, we got a, a rabbi and a, and a, a Jewish physician and, and DSA activist um, profiled in the in the book, talking about tikkun olam and zedaka, etc. Just means this this societal obligation to make sure that everyone has housing, healthcare, um, food, etc. Um, and uh, some some really interesting folks. Um, uh, Muslim uh, socialist activists talking about zakat and the in the prohibitions against usury, uh, prohibitions against hoarding, the, the demands that the natural resources be held in the collective, that all pointed them towards socialism and, and then Buddhist um, activists saying, you know, the whole idea of interdependence, how can you have an interdependent society where what we have in a capitalist uh, uh, economy is, is people grabbing as much as they can for themselves and, and the rest of us, um, you know, just have to struggle. So, um, I think it's also important, you know, those folks look at it as saying, okay, that liberal, be a liberal Democrat hasn't worked. We still have massive inequality in our, in our nation. Um, and uh, charity hasn't worked uh, because we're a very charitable nation, but we still have, you know, millions of people struggling to pay their rent and, and to get food uh, and healthcare, et cetera. So that's from one area as a religion towards socialism, but the socialism towards religion. And sometimes you have to make that argument among socialists who are sure. oftentimes very secular is what can religion bring to the table, especially if they've had a bad experience or, or know some of the, of the um, you know, many sins of, of, mm -hmm. of folks committed in the name of religion. But um, I, as I start the book off with a little bit of a profile of uh, George Washington Woodby, who himself was uh, uh, born into slavery in the 1850s and uh, became a Baptist minister and then became uh, decided to leave the the progressive Republican party or uh, at the, of the time of Frederick Douglass to be a socialist and said that um, he became the great Negro socialist orator. But he said something, you know, in the turn of the century, turn of the 20th century, I think still resonates today is that 
socialism can't win without reaching the working people who, um, who, who belong to the churches in the country. And of course, we have less people belonging to churches in the country now, but we still have a very strong majority in the US who say that religion influences them. So the socialist movement, which is doing really well um, right now in the United States, historically well, um, uh, needs religion and the faith communities. And, and again, the folks in the book, and I agree with that, is that uh, um, the, the, the true manifestation of our traditions points to a, a socialist society, not a capitalist selfish one. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like that. The word of hope uh, uh, spoke with Freddie DeBoer a couple of weeks ago, and he made the same point in kind of a, a far reaching way as well coming from a, a secular socialist point of view and that we're a lot further along than we've been. And of course, there's a long way to go uh, before we, we really get to where we're trying to, trying to head. Um, but yeah, I mean, to take, to take some, some kind of encouragement uh, with, with where we're going. Um, so obviously in this book, you, you do, and you do, talk uh, quite a bit about some contemporary socialists, Christian socialists, um, Muslim socialists, uh, as you said, Buddhist and, and Jewish, uh, but you also go way back. Um, so I want to, I want to talk, well, first let's go to the church fathers. So something that, that I'm familiar with from my seminary days, and it might've been quite, a, it, this is one of the first books I've read in a decade uh, that really, was focusing on the church fathers. Um, but yeah, I guess talk about, talk about the roots there and then we'll kind of move a bit closer to our own time. But yeah, just a, a little bit, a little bit deeper into the move from Acts where you do have all the apostles sh sharing things in common, uh, you know, particular to the Christian tradition. Um, but yeah, let's talk, let's talk about some church fathers and their, obviously pre-socialist because uh, they're predating socialism by a good 1700 years or so. But yeah, talk about, uh, talk about some of those really deep, um, as you said, OG roots. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I think you can, it depends on, you know, however you want to start the timeline, but you can look and, and see, you know, across um, all of these traditions, scriptural mandates, right? And, and um, scriptural mandates from uh, the Torah for Old Testament to the New Testament to, um, you know, to, to across um, uh, in the Quran, etc. And, and those folks, you know, again, the, the church fathers and mothers and um, all these traditions, as you said, they didn't use the word socialism as, as often as they, they said, you know, that, that basically we have an obligation, all of us individually, you look at the Good Samaritan parable, right? You know, we have an obligation to make sure that our sisters and brothers are, are housed and fed. And also really importantly, and again, I think the other folks in, in the, interviewed in the book and profile in the book make a, a great case there is that when we can't do this individually, and I cannot personally house the 6 million people who are behind on their rent in this nation right now, we have an obligation to take collective action to, to do so. So, um, you know, again, there's lot, lots of, uh, of, of examples and, and, and frankly rhetoric, but then really when it started becoming you know, something called socialism was was in the 19th century, and and that socialist movement, especially um, in France, with with Catholic priests and and um, and in uh, 
in uh, England with uh, the Anglican clergy in particular and some lay folks. I mean, those, those socialist movements were from the beginning really, really um, uh, influenced by the religious community. And of course that predates Marx, right? Um, sure. And so um, you have, you know, the, these folks that, that, and then that brings us into the, the social gospel movement. I'm sure you, you know, you talk, you know, I know you talked about it on the, on the show before mm-hmm. and, uh, and in the social gospel movement, again, every stage, there is a really significant uh, religious community involvement. And I, and I do think that's true today. When you look at the, the DSA membership, some of the terrific DSA members who are, are real leaders are, um, you know, our folks are persons of faith. You have uh, Rashida Tlaib is, is Muslim, um, you know, Corey Bush, who's a particular yeah. a terrific example this these past um, year or so when she's been in office. Um, she's a, actually an ordained minister herself, as you probably know, and a DSA member and um, uh, AOC, of course, is uh, influenced by her Roman Catholic uh, background. And so, you know, you can do the through line all the way, all the way back. And, uh, um, but but I was, it, I really appreciated when you talk about the legacy, maybe to me, the most interesting part was how strong it has been in, in the black community for mm. generation after generation. I mentioned George Washington would be, but you go to folks who directly influenced Dr. King, you know, A. Philip Randolph and Benjamin Mays, et cetera. And we, and we spend some time in the book talking about uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s really strong socialist connections and mm-hmm. affinity uh, which he and others chose to to not be really public about during the you know the, the peak of his um, his public life, um, but that brought you know is still very very strong today. And I think I think there's half a dozen folks we talk about in the book. But Angela Kauser, a Presbyterian minister, Andrew Wilkes, who's a Baptist, um, Chaz Howard, Episcopal priest, um, Aubrey Hendricks, who's a, a religious scholar. I mean, all of these folks are. Um, black folks active in the socialist movement today um, who are, are very much informed by, by that tradition. That to me is one of the most interesting um, things that uh, in terms of just the, how, how deep these roots run. Yeah. And I, I think that's a great point that I have keep, I've, I've kept coming back to in a lot of different contexts is that there are a lot of, of I would say creative theological movements uh, within the broader Christian landscape today and especially on the left and but I think part of what can be really easily missed when we rethink and restructure our theology is that uh, folks with our skin complexion we've been screwing up the application of this for quite a while (laughs) and you know it's our black brothers and sisters that have had very similar if not more conservative theological bent and had a much much more inclusive, much, much more uh, focused uh, theology as it flows out, you know, we talk about like orthodoxy, orthopraxy, and that's, I think, the real, real thing, if we really want to take on kind of a rethinking of our theology, you know, I'm, I'm open to, and I've I've had on this podcast, uh, several different people that are very, and very much in like a creative movements uh, theologically, but I think, I think that's one of the one of the great parts of this book is it. it it's not just um, those that are rethinking structures of theology, but those that have been in the traditional structures of theology that have been very vocal and very active on behalf of their neighbors, 
while the rest of us have missed it. <laughs> so, right. Um, right. yeah, I, I, I love, I love that about the book too. Um, one thing in the, in the book, and I think as a, as a through line, and you've already mentioned is there's a consistent division between the religious socialism that you're profiling and a Marxism. And I know this is a, if, if you even go back to like Cornell West uh, prophesied deliverance, he makes a, a strong distinction between a full, fully Marxist application, not necessarily a Marxist evaluation, but a, an application and the way that a Christian can bring that out. And I, I think it's especially fascinating a lot on the Christian left is a, is a full embrace of Marxism. And of course, um, I'm not necessarily saying that's impossible, um, but you know, Cornel West says that, uh, and, and clearly uh, that's a, a through line in your book. So I'm curious if you could say, talk about that and um, why that seems like a, a real important part of what you're doing from your perspective. Right. Yeah, I, I would say, Casey, that, um... I think it's be hard to be definitive on how folks feel. I, I know definitely many of the folks in profiled in the book who are current uh, uh, socialist uh, activists and folks historically who have been, some absolutely embrace the, the, the term Marxism. Mm -hmm. um, one of the folks I, I, I profile um, uh, in the book, John Court, who's actually in many ways the um, He's a, one of the founding members, if not the founder of the Religious and Socialism Working Group of DSA, which I'm, I'm active in now. And actually the proceeds from the book, the author proceeds go to the, the uh, Religion and Socialism Working Group. And he's the, the author of Christian Socialism, the book that um, actually Orbis Books, the same publisher published um, back in the day. But he, he was, you know, very, very, um, uh, you know, committed to his socialism. He actually would go to Catholic, uh, he's Catholic and he'd go to Catholic um, uh, meetings and he'd read he'd read portions of of statements and he'd say where do you think these come from and the folks would consistently say oh that comes from Marx and it was <laughs> they were papal encyclical yeah. um, and so so he he you know completely um, uh, agreed with Marxist um, economic theory uh, was not a huge fan of Marx thought that Marx was actually an overrated thinker um, etc but I think he his his interpretation of Marx's antipathy to religion was, was a stumbling block for sure. him. And it is for some other folks too, but other folks will, uh, but at the same time, there's other activists who are religious socialists now who will say, no, you know, that's, uh, you can, you know, obviously there's, we could debate much longer than we want to spend sure. today on, on, <laughs> on how to interpret different Marxist, uh, Marxist statements himself. But of course, people under the name of Marxism have been hostile to religion before, yeah, right? right? And people under the name of Marxism have been hostile to um, to purely democratic reforms. And so the most um, religious socialists are, are very much, of course, um, embracing the, the positive uh, uh, role that religion can play in society. And, and, and the DSA, of course, by definition is committed to a democratic process. Um, so, so pieces of how at least some folks interpret Marx, whether you think that's an accurate interpretation or not, have been pretty consistently rejected by religious socialists from from the beginning. And again, beginning meaning pre-Marx uh, because a, a lot of this tradition uh, predates um, him. But um, yeah, I, and, and I think it's a pretty decent um, uh, you know, microcosm of the, of the larger challenge of, of a religious left 
um, and certainly religious socialism movement is finding what where the common ground is um, and where you know where you need to agree to disagree. And the common ground to your point about how um, our black sisters and brothers in in especially in uh, in the Christian uh, socialist movement have been sometimes with you know quote unquote social issues um, you know maybe in different places than, than other folks on the left, but. The Venn diagram overlaps on on economic issues, right? They're just the the whole idea of, of yes, we absolutely need to guarantee healthcare for all. Yes, we need to consider housing a human right, et cetera. And and that's where the religion and socialism working group within DSA and others, you know, today this movement now, um, you know, finds its common ground and and uh, um, and finds that if that's a that's that's an absolute priority, which it is um, for everyone there, and they believe it is in their faith tradition, you know, there that let's 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 band together and, and, and transform our society that way. Yeah. Right. Uh, I love that explanation. And like I said, and, and like you were mentioning, it's definitely an open question and something that I think one of the stumbling blocks we have as the left in general. And, and I think we inherit this as the left in uh, Christian left in particular is a, and this need to subscribe to every single uh, element of the theory and the practice to, to have any sort of cohesion. I think of the of the Monty Python skit in Life of Brian quite a bit, uh, where it's these Marxist groups, uh, you know, in the time of Jesus are debating endlessly about what they should be called and how they should, and 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 there's the, and then they splinter off and into this. Um, other world of uselessness that that if they were together on the things that they could that they could agree on, so yeah, I'm I'm, I'm hopeful maybe that uh, and and maybe a Christian left a strong Christian left can push us in that direction and um, then maybe it starts with with all of us realizing there'll be differences but we can come together on the things that uh, that we can come together on yeah. Um, Okay, so speaking of someone that really tied the left together and someone that is profiled in your book um, and his Christianity was was a little bit, or at least his Christian roots uh, were a little bit surprising to me, uh, was Eugene Debs. So, you know, the, the turn of the century, maybe tell us a bit about Debs and then his Christian background and maybe how that played out at least morally for him as, as he moves on and he, he kind of sheds the, the explicit embrace of, of the faith itself, but, but moves uh, still in the same direction. Sure. Sure. Um, yeah. For, for folks who don't know, uh, Eugene V. Debs was the, um, you know, a really pretty unquestioned leader of the socialist movement um, in the early 20th century was a multi-time uh, presidential candidate um, up until Bernie Sanders' candidacy was was far and away the most successful uh, socialist presidential candidate, I think you would, um, uh, it, it, I think you certainly would, would argue. I would argue that uh, Bernie Sanders has been even more successful than than Debs was. But Debs was was part of a uh, again until the last few years the the socialist movement's heyday in the United States, and and, and really I think. Um, by most accounts, the, the leader of the movement. So he had been a labor um, organizer and a labor leader um, before that. Um, and he, as you said, had um, 
a kind of complicated relationship with Christianity, at least on one end. And on one side, it was not complicated at all. He himself um, personally had uh, trouble with um, uh, institutional religion, which I think probably a lot of us could share <laughs> and empathize with. Um, and but at the same time, was a you know a, enormous. Um, uh, a fan and promoter of the gospel message and of, 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 of Jesus's uh, life and, and advocacy. And it certainly, frankly, identified with it and, and identified with uh, Jesus's uh, life um, of being, you know, because uh, Debs himself was imprisoned for his advocacy and his, and his beliefs, etc. And it, I think most importantly for our, our lesson now is that he made very deep common cause with all kinds of Christian socialist activists, many of whom were clergy uh, of the time. There was an actual, you know, publication of thriving publication called the Christian Socialist um, at the time. Uh, and I think that it's it's interesting and, and, and enlightening the where Debs came from and where he stayed. So I'm speaking to you from Indianapolis, Indiana. Debs uh, grew up and spent all of his life in Terre Haute, Indiana, just mm. down the interstate from where we are. Um, and I think that that mattered that he was, you know, in the quote unquote heartland of the time and the quote unquote heartland sure. of, of our time and that and that sure. he understood, especially, you know, in flyover country, um, how powerful religion is and how powerful um, faith communities can be as institutions, as, as drivers of thought, um, as the foundations for what people believe in, and, uh, and, and how they act even today. And, and felt and understood the power of, of uh, Christianity at the time in particular, but the um, uh, faith and, and made common cause with it. And, and as somebody who, again, had his own you know, personal misgivings about institutional religion, uh, just absolutely em embraced the, the ethic and the message of, of Christianity in particular and uh, made it part of, part of his advocacy, but part of the, it was clearly a you know, driving force in the socialist movement at the time. Yeah. So I'm curious, and this is sort of a one-on-one question, but it's something that historically I'm um, always still kind of trying to, to get straight in my own mind. So maybe it's familiar to listeners too. So at the time of Debs, there there was a there was a thriving socialist movement in the United States, and this is like World War One, right? And you have cities like Milwaukee that had that were essentially run by socialists, the mayor, the city council, um, and of course the the later the later kind of happenings of McCarthyism after World War II. And as you mentioned, around the time of King, and that's one of the reasons that King was a lot less explicit about his own socialism, because he had a million other battles to fight and the right, right. embracing the word socialism was not a really great idea for him at the time, uh, at least, you know, so, so the decisions were made. So particularly in, you know, going from the time of Debs and going towards, you know, that, that in between, between Debs and say McCarthy, what happened to the socialist movement? What were, where were Christian socialists in that maybe? And I guess, how can that be instructive for where we're headed now? Yeah, that's a great question. And um, yeah, I think that's, it's really, it, it, because the the movement again had its uh, its, its most 
until now, I think now is it's stronger, but until now it's 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 zenith um, before I say before World War One, and some of it was old fashioned repression. Um, and um, and Debs himself went to prison for speaking out against the war, um, and so repression has its effect and uh, had its effect, um, and also. Um, what we saw in particular, I think, is during the, the, the Great Depression, um, and we see the, the, um, the fear, frankly, in the United States that with a, a mobilized and um, an agitated uh, working class in the United States and with the, the strength of the communist uh, movement um, in, in the Soviet Union, et cetera, there was real concerns about, okay, we're, you know, that the, the left was going to make significant uh, gains and, and maybe even you know, turn this into a more communist type uh, nation. So what happened was, in some respects is that the socialist movement won is that um, the New Deal is an incredibly socialist um, uh, package of legislation and reform. Um, if you took the, the Debs um, platform for when he was unsuccessfully running for president in the in, in the 19 aughts etc in, in the teens um, you know that that is the that's basically the new deal right and the so there was an awful lot of success and so the the democratic party you know led by FDR um, moving left so profoundly frankly sucked in a lot of folks who had been uh, you know identified as socialists saying well if we can get this accomplished through you know, the two party system and this party that's in power, then then maybe we're Democrats after all um, mm -hmm. and not socialists. Um, and then, as you say, you know, pre McCarthyism, the Red Scare, um, you know, dated before the 1950s. But but that to, through the middle of the, of the century, certainly, you know, repression of uh, of socialist and, and communist activism pushed things. And as you mentioned, so Dr. King had 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 stated privately and somewhat publicly, you know, some real uh, affinity for socialist, um, uh, for socialism, mm -hmm. and who talked him out of making that more public were black socialists, um, A. Philip Randolph and Benjamin Mays and other folks, because they said they have been basically, um, you know, red baited for for right. decades. And if he if he identified himself with that, it would hurt his ability to, to lead the broader movement. As you said, there, there were other um, irons in the fire at the time. So um, yeah, old-fashioned repression, and, and frankly, sometimes uh, the, when the activism, you know, wins at least partly the agenda, um, you know, I could think you could say the same thing in the Great Society with the Great Society during the 1960s. You know, that tends to um, you know dampen some folks' fire for reform. Yeah. But um, now, now we're in an economy where, where people are struggling, um, and it does not seem like capitalism has the answer for it. And frankly, for a you know, in, in many respects, the demographics show the younger generation in particular is saying, hey, um, you know, we need to not, we don't need just to, to tinker around the edges. We need a full reboot. And of course, folks now, you know, the majority of voters, I would say, are probably, you know, have no conscious memory themselves of the Cold War. So the idea of socialism is not um, something they grew up, um, you know, hearing about how how evil it was every day. And that seems to you know, reflect in the polling where the majority of young folks, um, majority of people of color, et cetera, have very positive views of socialism right now. Yeah. And I think that bridge to, as you were talking about the, the Great Depression and the, the response to that um, catastrophe economically for folks, 
has a, an interesting parallel, you know, obviously in the, the COVID, post-COVID or wherever we are in, in that right now. And yeah, I mean, I think back to early 2020 when it all hit, Bernie Sanders' campaign was doing really well. And I think the fear, you know, there's other aspects to that, you know, collusion Democratic Party and, you know, perhaps just uh, the the majority of Democratic voters are not quite ready. Um, but also a main factor, I think, is just the, the reality of COVID and the fear of change in the midst of that. And so with a with sort of the same opportunity as an FDR, and um, obviously Biden was was coming in as a as a latter day FDR, uh, you know, in in name, and I think many of us were <laughs> were waiting for the, <laughs> waiting for him to do something different than he'd done um, his entire life before. Right, um, right, so, right. Sure, yeah. Let's let's see it. Um, but yeah. Um, I'm curious if you have any any thoughts about where we're headed um, because it, we've essentially flipped the script and yeah, um, um, I don't know, this is kind of prognosticating, but I wonder uh, as someone that has a really firm finger on the pulse of particularly religious socialism, yeah, where we're headed and the influence we might be able to have moving forward yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think that that, like you say, the parallels a, a year or 18 months ago were, were pretty strong and that there, there, you know, all of a sudden we did have, you know, we did have extensions of uh, unemployment benefits. Unemployment benefits were much more um, ex- uh, uh, generous as well. Um, we had eviction moratoriums, we had child tax credits, we had stimulus checks. Um, but, but my day job is I, I teach at a, a law school clinic. We represent folks facing evictions. And um, our clients now, you know, eight months ago, they were safely housed because mm-hmm. of all those things, because of the stimulus checks and eviction moratoriums and extended unemployment. That's all gone. And it's all been that, that safety net has been taken away. So it wasn't, it was a new deal of the moment, right? It was a new deal for, you know, 12 months, 18 months or something. And it's all been taken away. Um, you know, I guess in, in slight defense of the Biden administration, you know, he hasn't had the kind of, um, you know, congressional uh, alliance that, that FDR had, but he also, you know, hasn't been, been leading the charge to, to keep these things in place. And, and I will say as an aside, you know, a, a religious socialist, Cori Bush is the reason that our clients get able to stay in for a while. You know, she literally right. camped out and slept on the, the steps of the Capitol until the kind of shaming the Biden administration to extending the moratorium. And Cori Bush herself, not just a black woman, not just a black woman who's a minister, not just a black woman who's a, a socialist, but she's been evicted a few times. She's sure. lived out of her car before with her, with her kids. So, um, so that kind of, you know, leadership we don't have at the national level. You know, she is she is not somebody who can command a majority, unfortunately, in in Congress. And so, I, I so I think we're back to a, a situation where it's an enormous crisis, um, and um, and and maybe a time where where we are going to see just a, a much stronger um, left uh, pushing back against um, you know what we see as this great unwinding. We saw frankly, a pretty socialist agenda during, during the pandemic um, of, of basic, you know, de facto guaranteed income and guaranteed housing. 
and guaranteed uh, healthcare. We hugely have expanded access to healthcare. Um, but if we start taking all that away, um, I, I expect there'll be a backlash um, uh, because I think it's affecting the poor and the desperate right now, but it's gonna affect you know, more than, uh, than just them. And uh, that's the stuff of a left movement, right? Yeah. Um, so, so I think that, you know, I, 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 I'm, I hate seeing, and yesterday, you know, in court, we had, you know, families getting evicted. I talked to a, a man who got sick and couldn't, you know, had to have surgery and he lost his job. He's living out of his car. I mean, this is, you know, I hate to see that happen on, a, on, a, on an individual level, but you also, well, maybe this is what it's going to take for us to have a, a, a real reform um, that we've seen in other democracies where they have a stronger socialist tradition or social democratic tradition, oftentimes called a Christian socialism or Christian social democrat tradition. Um, you know, that's been a lot of the driving fact of, of you know, of, of folks in, in Western Europe having universal health care, having universal paid leave, having, uh, you know, higher minimum wages. Um, you know, the the, the, the health care, um, you know, universal health care in Canada, that's our envy here. We envy so much in the U.S. That actually came from, you know, um, a Democratic Socialist, um, uh, Tommy Douglas, who was a Baptist minister. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's been described, you know, since then by Christian activists up there as being the good Samaritan writ large. That's what what folks would say socialism is. We don't have it here. Um, but uh, I got to tell you, when you spend some time in eviction court, you 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 think you can see how we need it. Yeah. No, and I want to ask you about that too, uh, because I think, I think one of my big qualms right now about the left in general and the left, the Christian left in particular is we, we are very online. Um, we're, we're very much as, as someone said, I think it was Freddie DeVore, uh, was saying is we're very much like a uh, a class of people that are that are able to stay on our laptops and work from home, and so we have we definitely I think are advocating sort of well online for for these types of things um, like moratoriums, evictions, but it's it's very much I think it can be very much performative, and I think it can be very much uh, a way that we can we can just have our own version of a, of a virtue signaling um, without really getting involved. So just talk about how how this is all affecting folks um, on the ground and you kind of mentioned it, I, I think. Um, but yeah, talk about your experience working with with folks that are really suffering the the brunt end of that. maybe if if the church is there, how the church is there, um, whether religious or not, um, whether socialist or not. So, yeah, right. It's kind of a lot of things, but yeah. no, 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 I, I appreciate you asking. Yeah. Um, so I, I teach at, uh, Indiana university McKinney law school and I'm a, I'm a clinical professor. So I teach some in the classroom, but the, the but the core of it is teaching you know, students taking on their first law students, taking on their first cases. Our cases are right now um, eviction cases. So we represent uh, uh, people in our community who are poor because they're facing or lower income facing the loss of their home. And um, yeah, you know, they are struggling and they are suffering. And there's 6 million people across the nation right now who are behind on their rent and therefore risking eviction. 
and nobody's in the street about it. Um, and, uh, you know, we see in our community and you see a little bit of it nationally is that the, um, institutional religious groups and advocacy groups connected with the religion are certainly complaining about it. Um, and, um, and, tr and trying to come together. I think there's been, you know, a, a pretty, uh, pretty nice multi-faith national coalition at the at the DC level of, of DC lobbyists on, on issues like healthcare and housing and, and access to medicines. But um, but in terms of a big popular movement, I mean the Poor People's Campaign I think has tried to create that. Um, and and I'm, I'm not sure it's moved the needle. Um, right. and, and and I gotta say here in our community we occasionally we do have folks from from different faith communities who are concerned about the housing crisis and some will come visit court and and they'll, you know, call their legislators, et cetera. But, um, you know, again, not condemning them because we all do what we can do, but that isn't, that isn't doing it. Uh, you know, that's not changing the, the, the dynamic. It's not changing the fact that, you know, this mom with three kids is, you know, trying to figure out where she's going to live next week. Um, so, and I don't know, you know, again, if you look at our faith traditions, Christianity, and, and, and beyond, I mean, this is untenable and it's unacceptable. And, um, and I, I don't, you know, I, again, I would just say, I don't think we're doing enough about it. I think probably we all agree on it. I do uh, that my particular, you know, form of, 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 of advocacy beyond um, the, the day job of, of representing individuals and pushing for, for reform has been as being a member of the religion and socialism working group at the DSA, which is, a wonderfully multi-faith group, just really organically and naturally. Um, you have folks, there's a call last night, I think on the call, we had um, a majority Christian, but we had um, uh, definitely folks uh, from Judaism, um, Buddhism. I'm not sure if we had somebody representing Islam on that, but there's a, there's a real strong Muslim uh, working group within DSA. Um, I'm optimistic about that, but it's, it's definitely just, you know, getting rolling too. Um, so yeah, I, you know, I don't have, <laughs> I wish I could say, oh, here's yeah. where, here's what, here's what needs to happen next. And here's what's likely to happen next. Cause right now I, again, I, I'm a, a fan of the poor people's campaigns. Um, and you know, again, just kind of depends on where your listeners are in some places it's been pretty strong in some places, you know, like a lot of activism has had trouble getting, getting traction. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think that's the, that's a, the hard part of right now and I think we we on the left have taken a very uh, for for I think arguably a very good reason um taken a very maximalist stand on COVID and on gathering and it seems to me like like these these ways that we can get out into the streets and support our our brothers and sisters who are not mainly sisters who are not being able to stay in their homes, um, is, is what, yeah, like I said, I don't, I don't know that we're moving the needle by tweeting out or retweeting or, um, or sending out very angry letters, even to Congress. I mean, it's, uh, this, I feel like the, the disruption is so, so lacking. I'm, I'm curious if we can pull that together. <laughs> um, right. Yeah, you'd like to think that, uh, 
you know, when we all can get together physically again, uh, safely, um, that that can be agenda item number one is let's, you know, let's get together physically. Let's, you know, uh, let's sit in at the in Indiana General Assembly. Let's, you know, let's storm, you know, let's occupy the mayor's office. Let's, um, you know, barricade an eviction uh, court, et cetera, yeah. or, or even without something that's, that's that disruptive, just physically showing up and, you know, history shows us, right? That's what, that's where reform comes from. And the, and thankfully the, you know, uh, the faith community has always been a really important part of that here in the U S. And so, yeah, I'd love to, to say that that, that happens, but I, I do think there's just no question when we're staring at each other on zoom screens or, or tweeting or something, that's just, that's pretty easy for the powers that be to ignore and bypass yeah. around, right? So yeah. It's right. a little bit different when they're sitting in the office and you can't get in. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Um, hopefully we can return to that very soon. Um, okay. So I, I want to hear your experience a little bit and, and some of the remaining time on connecting with these folks. I know that a lot of them are, you're connected with already through the, as you mentioned, the um, religious working group of DSA. Um, but yeah, just surprising folks that you met, um, interesting folks that you met, uh, folks that you hadn't um, maybe hadn't known about before you did the, the research for your book. Yeah, I gotta say that in you know, Casey, it actually came about um, you know, pretty much piecemeal like that is meeting someone's like, wow, this is this really, you know, uh, Andrew Wilkes is this really interesting activist and, and theologian um, and uh, a Baptist minister and, and um, comes through this tradition of, of, of black socialism and, and like, oh, that's really interesting. I'd like to learn more about this. And, and I'm, I've got a journal, I'm a, a law professor now, but I've got a journalism background. And so that's part of what I um, have, have consistently done. So I wrote a I think a profile piece of Andrew, I can't remember if that, several of them were in Sojourners uh, and several of them have been in, uh, you know, a couple of different publications like that, uh, you know, left religious publications, but just piece by piece meeting them and then finding almost to a person, they've traveled a path that frankly mirrored my path and that mm -hmm. they, they didn't, it's not like they woke up one day and said, oh, I've got different political beliefs than I used to have. But what they do wake up one day is say, hey, if I believe in healthcare for all, if I believe that housing is a human right, I believe that, that there should be a, a, a you know, massive a reduction in inequality we have in our society. Um, you, know, you know what calls for that, not just my faith tradition, but socialism does. And, and there are some people from different faith traditions who are doing that. So uh, you know, person by person from, you know, um, you know, Muslim activists and Jewish activists and Buddhist activists, et cetera, to the many Christian folks profiled in the book, uh, you know, folks have traveled this path. And, and frankly, it's my path as well. Um, uh, my, my, I'm Francis Ignatius Quigley. I'm the eighth of nine children. So you can guess my, my faith <laughs> tradition, the Roman Catholic tradition. Um, and to me growing up, that was always, um, and thankfully to my parents and my older siblings, I mean, that was a liberation theology, uh, you know, tradition. That's what I thought of Catholicism being. And um, so it was, you know, I've always, you know, from a young age, you know, believed in, you know, universal health care and, and um, living wages and, and, uh, and, and, and reforming inequality and reducing inequality, et cetera. And, but frankly, not until relatively recently did I 
make the step to say, okay, I guess I'm a socialist. And I think <laughs> that again, almost everyone in that book had a, had a similar journey that they followed, sure. including folks historically, because it, 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 but I do, I think that I've been given permission to do that, Casey, kind of by, you know, I'm nearly 60 years old. So the, uh, kind of by a different generation is because the younger generations aren't scared of the word and aren't scared of, yeah. of the concept and aren't, you know, and don't worry that somebody's going to call them a commie and not let them get a job or, or access to something. Of course, there's, there's, there is some repression now. There's probably going to be more if it gets more successful, but, um, but I do think that this, you know, this, it's kind of a golden era of like, okay, that's, that's okay. Let's, let's have this aspirational view of society. At the same time, it's always been, and again, almost all the folks in the, in the book, but not everybody is a member of the DSA and the DSA is committed to, you know, the left wing of the possible what's needed now. It's not just, you know, ultimately we want to have a fully socialist uh, society. Um, uh, but, but in the meantime, what can we do to stop evictions from happening in the right. meantime, what we can do to guarantee the, you know, living wages. And so let's, let's try to, to, to make life better for everyone now at the same time with our eyes on the prize for, for what the, the big picture could be. So, so person by person, I guess, you know, I think we all do that. It's like you know, their, their journeys resonated with me because it was in, in many respects, my journey. Um, and it was, and I got to say, I mean, as someone who, again, I come from a Catholic tradition, but, but um, I'm certainly think, um, I, I feel, I feel I think much more broadly now. It's just really refreshing and, and exciting to be in a multi-faith uh, organization and to be in a multi-faith organization where the, 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 there's so much consensus on the need for economic reform. Now, if we started talking about, you know, Israel, Palestine, there, there's a, few members of the group who, who wouldn't be in, in, in agreement with the majority. If we start talking about abortion rights, it'd be probably have a few people in the group. I know that we wouldn't be, but if we talk about the need for everyone to have housing and healthcare and food and living wages, then that Venn diagram, you know, really, really strongly overlaps on the, on the economic issues. And that's just a really, frankly, a real, um, you know, personally fulfilling place to be for me. And I know others involved in the movement. Yeah. Yeah, I love that, and I think I think keeping the the aspirational and the practical together, because like you said, we can we can always push for a maximalist position and get nowhere, um, or we can, like you said, <laughs> be be actually with the people that are the most affected and find a way to to bring them out together of of the evils of capitalism. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think there's, I think there's a lot there and, and a lot there for us to, to actually have action on instead of just waiting for the revolution. <laughs> um, yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and I, and I think that's how, you know, and again, uh, I do a little bit of, I'm sure you've talked about on your, on, on the show a lot, but I do a little bit of research and teaching on social movements and none mm -hmm. of us know when, things are going to tip yeah. over right and so you just yeah. keep pushing pushing and all of a sudden whoa wait a minute today's the day and so um but in the meantime we push and push and and i do think i mean you know it, it, it's a cynical term in some ways of never waste a good crisis but we have a crisis and we and we now have this amazing example of of socialist reforms of a guaranteed income of of, of guaranteed housing we didn't kick people out of their housing we um, you know, making sure maximum food stamp allocation, just real tangible bread and butter stuff during the pandemic. And, and, 
the, the, the poverty rolls went down, the, the lowest in recorded history since it's, it's the 1960s in the middle of a pandemic. Why? Because we took action in a way we know works. And, you know, again, the way we know works in, in other nations that are more socialist than we are. Um, so we have now a very, very contemporary U.S. model to say this is this is how we should be, you know, how, how we should be running our society. And and again, I which I it's it's consistent with my Christian background. I think it's it, my understanding of Christianity. It's consistent with with other folks in the book's understanding of that as well. And Judaism, Buddhism, Islam, etc. Yeah. Well, that's great. Um, how can we? How can we follow your work? Obviously, we'll get we'll get a link to this book. Like I said, um, I'll probably include a link as well to Religion and Socialism Working Group. I know you're involved in the podcast uh, that our one of our previous guests, Colleen Shaddix, who actually pointed me in your your direction. Um, uh, so I know y'all are both kind of working on that. Um, but yeah, give us a couple of couple of plugs, uh, and then maybe even the plug of where where you're working and how we can um, come alongside either folks in Indianapolis or maybe a more localized version wherever we're listening. Well, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, Colleen is terrific. There's no better spokesperson for, and I think uh, she, I must say one of the transformative moments for me was interviewing her when she said, uh, if you have a problem with the fact that that um, I'm a socialist and I'm a Catholic, then, or you have problems that I'm a socialist, I'm going to botch her terrific statement. <laughs> you have a problem with the fact that I'm a socialist, you've got a problem with the fact that I'm a Catholic because yeah, they're right. of a piece. Um, and uh, again, others say, say similar things about their, their own faith tradition. So yeah, the website for the Religion and Socialism Working Group is religioussocialism.org. And um, it is a working group within uh, the DSA, but it, it is a uh, a group that meets um, in, on its own that has a, a consistent um, uh, blog uh, that has a podcast, which kind of um, that Colleen and others contribute to that co- doesn't come out as, as uh, consistently as you, Casey, with public theologians. <laughs> we wish that we had I our know, act I've, together. As, I keep we looking at like, have wait, a did I miss like one? You. Did I miss one? Yeah, yeah <laughs> no, it's, it's, been, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a bit hit or miss, partly just because we don't have somebody like you who's, who's owning it. So um, we, we hopefully we'll, we'll get to that. Um, you know, and you can look and see, of course, the presence on Instagram and Twitter, et cetera. Um, but I, I do think the website and you can, and you can sign up to, to get information in the, in the newsletter. And, and there's um, at least monthly uh, meetings and, and probably about every month or two, there's usually a webinar. There was a terrific webinar recently, a multi-faith folks talking about, um, you know, what the faith community can bring to socialism. We did a couple of different versions last year over the um, the multi-faith commitment to Medicare for all. And so that was just a, such a really cool thing. And it's one of the things that Zoom does work well, right? We had folks from, right. so we had a, you know, a, a black Baptist minister. We did have a, a woman rabbi. We did have um, a Muslim Medicare for all activist. We did have an Episcopal priest and all these folks, you know, coming together and saying, yeah, our faith tradition says the same thing. Yeah, our faith tradition is just a really, I just, I just love those moments. I continue to love those moments where you, you find a multi-faith commitment and, and when you talk about just you know daily sur- daily survival, but beyond a daily thriving, you know we we all feel the same way. Um, so um, yeah, I, th- I think the the best start is religioussocialism.org, or you can follow uh, you know us on on Twitter or, or IG or, or what have you. Yeah, well, awesome. I'm um, so glad we finally got to talk, and again, so thankful and grateful for your book. I, I wish we could at least print off 
chapters and just drop them as leaflets like uh like the Bill of Grand Crusades used to drop the little leaflets <laughs> yeah, in Russia. Yeah. We can drop these uh, over large churches in New York City or uh, Anaheim or whatever. Right, right. <laughs> but, right. Um, well, don't tell the publisher because they, they have the copyright, but I'm okay. Make copies or steal this book, as, as was said, right? It's right. okay. The, the idea is getting it out there. And again, if you do, if folks do decide to buy it, the, the proceeds go to support the, the social religion and socialism working group and, and trying to build this uh, multi-faith movement. Yeah. Well, again, Frank Quigley, thank you so much. It was such a, such a great time talking to you and uh, we'll hope to touch base with you soon. Casey, I appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. And that's the show for today. Thank you so much to Fran Quigley for discussing his book, Religious Socialism, Faith in Action for a Better World with me. Again, that's from Orbis Books. And I will put a link to that in the show notes and also links to Religious Socialism and you should check out the podcast as it is really great when it does come out, as we discussed. Thanks again to Phil Nellis for doing the art for the show. Thanks always to Orbach for providing the music. Thank you for listening. Again, if you like the show, if you feel like it should go out to a wider audience, give us a rating, a review on Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast of choice that would increase the visibility of this show. And I would very much appreciate that. So thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Go in peace to love and serve. Mm-hmm.